And so, uh, with no more ado, I want to invite my very, very good friend, Pete Gilbert. Pete's been my uh, mentor, spiritual director for a long time, and so if you think I'm in bad shape, he is the man to blame, because like, I'm so much work in progress, but um, I love Pete. He's like a big brother and a friend, and we enjoy every time he comes. He's been speaking at Zio for a long time, and so let's welcome our good friend, Pete. Pete. Thank you very much indeed, Matt, and good morning, Zio. Uh, when Matt says I've been speaking at Zio for a long time, he means usually about an hour and a half. So just settle, settle in, that'll be fine. No, not really. Okay, it's really, really good to be with you again. I bring you greetings, first of all, uh, from our own church, church which my wife and I and my daughter and son-in-law are part, which is Inverness Vineyard Church, all the way up in the highlands of Scotland, which is where God lives, Okay. <laughs> So I do bring you greetings uh, from, from the church there. And uh, speaking of where I live, I actually live just out with her, outside of uh, Inverness by about 10 miles. And that's 10 miles of moorland. It's rural. It's very rural where I live. We live in a, what's called a strath, which is a wide valley in Scotland. Uh, and we planted church there and, and done all sorts, seen all sorts of exciting things. But the nature of living in a place like that, very rural, is that you're a little bit kind of off grid. So uh, sometimes there are properties there. I've stayed in properties like this where you're not even on mains water uh, and we stayed in a place like this a while back uh, and the water sort of it just ran out it just kind of dried up you turn the tap on there'd be a trickle and then it would just run to nothing and so we we contacted a local guy that we knew to be a plumber and he came out and with the most remarkable solution that I've ever seen or been a part of so what we did was we climbed up a hill behind the house where we were to a little post in the ground which marked the source of a spring. And the spring is what fed the, the water down into the house that we were staying in. And he carried with him, I had no idea why at the time, he carried with him a cylinder, like a gas cylinder. And I'm thinking, what's he going to do? Is he going to blow the thing up? What's he, what's he going to do? And what he actually did was, he sourced the spring, he attached a tube to what was actually an oxygen cylinder. So now we're going diving, I'm thinking, what's going on? And he feeds the tube down, and he let this enormous burst of air of oxygen from the tank which at the other end blew a frog out of the pipe which was actually so until then we'd be drinking water that had gone round a frog so it's really just tremendous really uh, in scripture the notion of of wells is is well read see what i did there it's it, we know about wells we read about them in the old testament and indeed uh, in the new testament there are two words that are used predominantly for wells there are two types of wells in scripture there is a type of well pege which is a cistern well in other words it's a hole in the ground that fills up usually with just rainwater and then you take the water from there until it gets topped up by the next rain for. There's another kind of well, which is called beer, which I quite like the sound of actually, beer, uh, and that's a kind of well which is fed constantly by a spring like the one that I just described to you. In one of my favourite passages in scripture, in John chapter 4, uh, Jesus talks uh, about uh, the, the nature of his life in us and through us. And what he says, he's standing by a well at the time. You'll remember the story, uh, John 4, the, the woman of, of Samaria and uh, the biggest woman in the Bible. Okay, yeah, okay. So, woman of Samaria. Oh, stick with it, guys. Come on. 
And uh, he's talking to her about living streams. And he says to her there, looking at the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A beer spring welling up to eternal from within. And the reason why I wanted to start there, because that's not the passage that I want to speak from this morning, but the reason why I wanted to start there is I want to pick up on something that, uh, that Matt said earlier, which is a sense perhaps this morning uh, that God wants to do some really pretty, powerful, miraculous stuff in our midst. And I want to preach to that. I want to see that happen this morning. I'm going to leave space when I finish speaking for us to respond to God. I want to warn you about that now because I want to see as many people here who have a feeling of being hungry and thirsty and dry and in a drought, a season of drought, where, where the water of life is not flowing, where that spring of eternal life is not springing up within you at the moment. And that's you, no pretending, no super religiosity. That's you right now. And I want to see you responding at the end of this talk. I want to see you make a choice, whatever your circumstances, and I'm not minimising your circumstances, to get out of your seats and come up to the front in faith and receive some prayer so that we can be in this together and we can see what God would do in our midst together. So I want to take us to a, a passage which actually talks from the Old Testament, which actually talks about drought about a season of drought. It's a very well-known passage. If you've got your Bibles with you in whatever form you have your Bibles uh, to hand, then I want you to turn to the first book of Kings in the Old Testament. And we're going to pick up, it's around about the middle of a story, actually. We're going to pick up a story of a season of drought. And we're going to see what we can learn from this about how God breaks droughts in our lives. How he brings droughts through to a season uh, of provision. And this is a story which uh, many of you will be familiar with. I'm going to read just a few verses from 1 Kings and chapter 18. And it's a a very well-known story. What has preceded the story, the, the bit we're going to read, is Elijah, the servant of God, the prophet of God, this this wild and wacky figure. We don't know too much about Elijah. We know he came down out of the mountaintops, a shadowy figure uh, dressed in a really odd way that probably represented vows that he had taken uh, to God. And he appears on the scene and God starts to speak to and through uh, Elijah, his, his servant, finds a man after his own heart. And Elijah, of course, is one of the few, about 800 BC if you want it placed uh, historically. And Elijah, is one of the few people that we read about, not the only, but one of the few people in Scripture who does not die, but is taken, eventually is taken up uh, to be with God. He was, and then he was not, and he walks uh, with God. So this amazing story uh, from the life of the prophet Elijah. Now, just before we pick the story up, we've had another very famous story involving Elijah, which is Elijah's battle with the false prophets the false mouthpieces of the false god, Baal. 
And some of you will know the story. He's been up the mountaintop, up Mount Carmel, and there's been a battle going on, and he's been proving, and it's quite, I have not time to read the story. You can read it for yourselves over the course this week, but he's very derogatory about Baal, and Baal's not showing up, and Baal's not doing what his prophets ask him to do. And Elijah's saying, well, where's your God now then? Is he on the toilet? Is that where he is? Great stuff. Read it for yourself. I'm not making it up. It's, it's all in there. And, and, and before Elijah sees God perform an amazing miracle of consuming the offering on the altar of Baal, of consuming the offering, Elijah says, let's, I tell you what, let's make this difficult. Do you remember the story? And, and Elijah says, let's make it really difficult. You see these four large jars. I'm, I'm, I'm in 1 Kings 18 here. You see these four large jars, uh, fill them with water, and then pour them onto the offering, which God is going to consume with fire. Let's not make it easy. So they pour four large jars of water over the offering. And then Elijah says, do you know what? That's not enough. I tell you what, let's do it again. So they fill the four jars up again. These are large jars of water. And they pour it all over the offering. Again. And it's drenched. It's sodden now. It's soaked through. And Elijah looks around and he says, just for good measure, let's do it again. So for the third time, so now 12 large jars of water, they pour it over the offering. And not only is it drenched, but the water drips off the altar and there's a trench around the altar and the trench itself is filled with water. And then Elijah says, okay, I think we, that's good. Now let's see what God can do. And the fire of God falls. Just like I have such a sense that he wants to fall here this morning and break droughts. And the fire of God falls and the whole thing is consumed by the fire of God. Now, many of you know that story and that's the background to the little bit of the story that we're about, the middle of the story that we're going to read in just a moment. But can I point out to you what for years of knowing this story, <laughs> I kind of failed to notice and you're probably much more switched on than I am, so you probably didn't fail to notice it. But this whole story is set in a season of drought. And what are they pouring over the altar? They're pouring water. By the gallon and by the gallon, 12 large jars of water. What is the point here, I think, that God is indicating to us? That by this stage, by the stage of the story we read, which is the breaking of the drought, Elijah has already learned to give away the little that he already has. Can you hear me, church? That in a time of drought, for God's glory... He pours out the water. This is precious. Life gives it's all they've got and they pour it all over an altar. In a time of little, Elijah has already learned to give the little that he's got, to give it all. Now, I want that to be the precursor for what I say next. Because if you're feeling drought-ridden, if you're feeling dry, if you're wondering where the eternal life, which is the spring of the life of Jesus, is running in and through you at the moment, if you're feeling like it's all run out, if you're feeling like there's a frog somewhere stuck in the pipeline, then hear me. This is not the time to back off. This is the time to give away every last little vestige of the bit that you've got. To be prepared to sacrifice everything even the stuff that feels scarce and precious 
in order to see what God would do. So we're going to read just a few verses that follows that part of the story. And uh, we're going to start at verse 41. Uh, so follow it with me if you would. So Elijah goes to the, the, ra- the, the authority of the day, the reigning king of the day, King Ahab. And Elijah says uh, to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain, this is the breaking of the drought, a heavy rain came in and Ahab took, rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. What a great and somewhat wacky story. We pick it up in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. But of course at that stage, there was not. There was not a sound of a heavy rain. Nothing had happened at all at this stage. There was not a cloud in the sky. There hadn't been for days and days and weeks and weeks. They were in the middle of a drought. It felt dry and dusty and dirty and difficult. And there wasn't a sound, but Ahab was listening to what was to be. Ahab was not listening to what had yet arrived. He was listening to what was yet to arrive. The sound of a heavy rain. And for me, that speaks about the need for us, particularly if you're feeling dry and barren and dusty and dirty. If you feel like it's all run out if you feel like there's a blockage somewhere upstream, then a crucial thing is not only give the little that you've got, but listen to the prophetic voice of God. What is God saying to you? This would apply to a whole church, because churches find themselves in seasons of dryness, but it would also apply to individual, to you. I want to I speak to you this morning. I, I wanna, I'm not going to do it because it would embarrass people, but I, I want to put the mic down and I want to come across the rows and I want to eyeball you and I want to hold your hand and I want to put my hand on your shoulder and I want to look into your eyes so we get real and authentic together. And we say, come on, what is God saying to you? Don't just listen to what is around you. Don't be pressed in and conformed by the stuff around you. What has God said? What will you choose to live by? What you see or what you hear? Because scripture says we do not walk by sight, but rather by faith. So there's something here about the prophetic. Now, I'm not talking about 
or hear me, I'm not talking about getting into unreality. I'm not talking about, you know, just naming it and claiming it or blabbing it and grabbing it. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a gutsy, honest, what has God said to me? What has God said over me? What has God spoken into my life? What, what is my destiny? However dry and dusty and dirty I feel at the moment, what has God said? Where, what is the place of the prophetic in our lives? Romans 10, I think around verse 17 says this, faith, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So again and again in my driest and dirtiest and dustiest places, and we all have them if we're going to be real, I go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, what have you said? What have you said? You are the source of the water. You are the eternal life that runs through me. What have you said about little old Peter Gilbert? Who have you said I am? What have you said about why I am? What have you said about what I will see you do? And help me stand under the voice of Christ because faith comes from hearing. So I, I, I adjure you this morning. What has Jesus said to you? Don't focus right now on the dryness. What has he said to you? What is the prophetic word of God over this church This church is and will grow. I prophesy this church is and will grow, but not in the way that you thought. And now I think you're embarking on a, I know there's a new vision that's come into the church and some of you are really excited about that and some of you are wrestling with that. But my goodness me, it's not an easy route forward, but it's the route forward for growth and multiplication. I honestly believe it. What has God said over you as a church? What has God said over you as individuals to break the drought, the place of prophecy in our lives? That's the first thing I want to draw you to. The second thing I want to draw you to, um, it, it, so he says that to the king, which is a brave thing to say, isn't it? You know, go, go, I tell you what, why don't you go and feast? Why don't you go and celebrate? That's what he's saying, go and eat and drink. Why don't you go and celebrate? Because there is the sound, even before there was the sound. That's how the prophetic works. You don't, I will come on to that. What's the next thing that, uh, that Elijah does, having talked to the king? Risky business. What's he do next? Well, he climbs back up Mount Carmel, where he's seen this mighty victory of God, and the prophets have fled, and all the rest of it. And, 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 and it's very specific, isn't it? If we, as we read it, it's, it's not sort of chance description. Uh, Elijah climbed up to the top of Carmel. He takes the high ground. He gets to a place where he has perspective, where he's not under it, but he's over it. There are all sorts of lessons here for us, church. And what does he do there? He bends down to the ground and he puts his face between his knees. This is not uh, additional detail to help us conjure up the scene. What is being described there is a prostrate position of worship. What Elijah is doing is he is positioning himself in a place of prayer and worship. That's, oh my goodness. We have not, we have not just been singing songs. 
If we have chosen to do so, we have climbed Mount Carmel this morning. We've got out of bed. We've taken the effort to get ourselves dressed and put the kids together and packed them all in the car. I once nearly left my daughter in her car seat on top of the car when I drove off to church, but that's another story entirely. And we've got, you know, we've managed to get here and we've taken the effort. Why have we done that? Because it's good to be together, yes, but also because we want to take the high ground. We want to have perspective together. Put ourselves in a place, a position of prayer and of worship. And if you are feeling naff this morning, if you are feeling dry and dirty and dusty and the, the channels are blocked, if you're in a season of drought, put yourself in a place of praise and worship. But do it honestly. Do it really. If you need to yell out at God, to God, yell out. If you need to be angry with God, be angry with God. I know Christians who felt terribly ashamed because they've ended up swearing at God. Listen, believe me, he can cope with you. He can cope with you because he's besottedly in love with you. Position yourselves in a place of prayer and of worship because that's, that's what Elijah does. He's spoken the word prophetically. He's heard before he's seen and now he places himself positionally in prayer and in worship. And that, I think, is what I need to do when I need to see a drought shift in my own life, whatever area of my own life. What's the next thing that I think we read so clearly and yet so glibly, so quickly in the story? So Elijah's servant is obviously trolled up the back of the mountain with, with Elijah and he's standing around wondering what his master is doing. And Elijah says to his servant, after he's prayed, after he's positioned, after he's worshipped, Elijah says to his servant, okay, what I want you to do, from here you can see it, turn and face the sea. Turn and face the sea uh, and tell me what you see. And the servant does that and he comes back to Elijah, probably walks off a little bit so he can see the sea. He comes back to Elijah and says, well, uh, nothing. There's nothing there. Just the sea, nothing there. So Elijah says, well, I'll tell you what, go back again. Now, Elijah's already done this. I wonder if there are echoes. Elijah's already done this. Pour some more water on. Oh, no, that's not enough. Pour some more water on. No, that's not enough. Pour some more water on. So he sends his servant back off to the sea. Have a look again. But this time it's not once or twice or three times. It's seven times he sends the servant off, a little trod into the distance, a little look over the uh, coming back. No, there's nothing there. No, there's nothing there. No, there's nothing. No, there's still nothing there. No, there's really nothing there. I mean, how many times do I tell you? There's nothing there. And then on the seventh time, he sees the cloud. And I think that speaks to me in a, in a, in a culture, in an age, in, in a, a situation of society where we're so demanding for the immediate, where we're so insistent upon the instant. This speaks of perseverance. This speaks of push through. You see, one of the things that drought does is it doesn't just make us thirsty, but we lose all perspective. We think thus it is and thus it ever will be now. We've grown used to it. I fear that some of us have grown used to life post-COVID. Whereas actually what we need to do is learn the lessons and move through, push through, push through. Something here about perseverance. And that's exactly, of course, what Elijah is encouraging his servant to do. Now, what he's do I've often wondered, what's, what's Elijah doing? 
while the servant is doing all this. I suspect, you can't prove it from the text, I suspect that Elijah is still praying, he's still positioned, he's still worshipping, he sends the servant off, he carries on, he carries on, he's listening to the reports, he's not pretending it ain't what it ain't, he's not super spiritualising it, there's nothing there yet, okay, there's nothing there yet, and there he goes again, I suspect, prayer, position, worship, we're going to persevere, we're going to push through, we're going we're to struggle until we see what it is that God is doing. Despite the times it doesn't work. Despite the times it doesn't work. So despite the years that my wife and I were prayed for, because we couldn't medically have kids, until the miracle happened and we had our firstborn, Freddie, naturally born, by the grace of God. And now we have two miracle kids. Just wonderful. All kids are miracles. But two miracle kids because of God's provision. I want to speak that into this group of people this morning. If I'm speaking into your situation this morning, come forward in just a few minutes. So that you can be prayed. People lay hands on you. And we can pray for you to push again. to persevere. Not to be unreal. But to push and to persevere to struggle, to wrestle with God. Jacob and the angel, the angel of the Lord, who is the Lord, to wrestle with God until he touches and blesses, whatever that looks like for Jacob, and it ended up with him limping. What's the next thing that we can learn? Verse 44. Verse 44. Eventually the servant comes back after the seventh time. The servant comes back and he says this time, a, a, a cloud. I can see a cloud. It's tiny. It's, a, it's as small as a man's hand. But it's not happened for all this time, in all of this drought. But now I see a cloud no bigger than a man's hand rising from the sea. It's the signs of a breaking drought. But can I say to you this morning... What certainly resonates in my own experience, I've known God step into my life and those that I love uh, and people that I've prayed for and so on. And, and I've seen God step in and do in a moment what the enemy has sought to undo for years and years and years. I've seen him do that. I've seen him do that. And I'm, I can build, because he's done it in me and he's done it for me, I can have faith that he'll do that this morning. So respond this, that way this morning. But I've also seen God sometimes take a long time to move quickly. Can you hear me? I've seen and experienced God take a long time to move quickly. Not because he's nasty, not because he's late, not because he's mean, but because he's doing more behind your back than he's doing in front of your face. And he's moving things around in the aegis of your life and your lives in order for you to be in the best possible place, in the best possible relationship with him, to receive the maximum amount from him. And that's why the wait sometimes happens. Let's not super spiritualise it with all the traffic light stuff. God says sometimes green, red or amber. You know, I get, yeah, yeah. But God's heart and desire is to say yes and amen to your prayers. And the delay sometimes is because we're broken people in a broken world with an enemy. So here we have the beginning of the breaking of a drought, but it starts small. 
It's just a little cloud. That's not what they need. They need a lot of water. It's been a long drought. That's not what you need. It's been a long, dry season for you. It's been a hard time. You've seen the enemy whittle at your faith and at your relationships and at your family, for some of you, your income and at your workplace. And you need a lot of water. But sometimes a lot of water starts with a small cloud. It starts with a small cloud. And you can take hope and faith from that, but don't miss it. Don't miss the little, because you're looking all the time for the much and for the solution. That will come in God's timing. So my question to me and to you this morning is, what are you overlooking? What have you not seen? What do you, where, where do you need to go again? Where do you need to look again? To that whole thing about perseverance. But now not so much perseverance as perception. What do you perceive? That's actually what Elijah, that's what the word means. What do you perceive? Not just what do you see. What do you perceive? What do you understand about what you see? Do not despise the day of small things but latch on to it and the promise that it holds. Is there stuff that you've underestimated in your life, in the flow of your life, in the dryness currently of your life? Is there stuff that you've, oh, you've despi- almost despised it? You're, you, you're despairing because you've despised of the little that God is beginning to do because you want the much. Is there stuff in your life where you're dry because you've given up? Can I say that gently and carefully? But because you've given up and God wants to say to you, go again, go again, look again. Don't despise the little. That's where it often starts. The small cloud rising out of the sea. And the last thing that I want to say before I invite people forward to to receive some prayer is um, it, so th- this happens, and Elijah's response is immediate, isn't it? Go and tell Ahab, <laughs> hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain. Now, you see, w- w- Elijah is living in the promise, not just in the perception. Elijah's not just saying, oh, it's a little cloud. Oh, oh well, this may or may not do it. Elijah says, quick, go and tell Ahab, because if he don't get moving pretty quick, the rain is going to stop his chariot. He's seeing beyond the little cloud. He's moving uh, beyond that. And then, of course, that's exactly what happens. Have you ever wondered what that felt like for Ahab? Go and climb in your chariot and get moving quickly down to Jezreel before the rain stops you. What, hang on. First of all, I'm eating and feasting. Now I've got to eat my chariot because the rain's going to stop me and it ain't even raining yet. I think the point here has got something to do with moving before it feels good. Let me say that again. It's got something to do with taking gutsy responsibility for our own proximity to Jesus, for the power of his spirit through us, the dreams of living water, 
and moving before it happens, before it feels good. It's about positioning again, isn't it? Putting ourselves in the place that it's going to happen, but I've got to move first. It's a little bit like uh, the lepers, you know, who come to Jesus. And Jesus, as he always does, has compassion on them and he heals them. But the, the scripture is interesting. What the scripture says is that as they went on their way, they were healed. Not they were healed and went on their way. But they got up off their butts and maybe they left behind their self-pity and they activated their wills and they made choices and they set their faces in a direction and they went and as they went, they were healed. Do you know what? For some of you this morning, getting out of your seat and humbling yourself and expressing your need and being real and being authentic and not being super spiritual and naming it like it is and coming forward for prayer, for some of you, this is that. It's the activation of your will. As they went on their way, they were healed. So there's King Ahab. Before it happens, before it feels good, before the drought has quite broken, up he gets and off he goes. Faith in action. And the last thing I want to say, uh, is from the end of where we, where we read to in verse 46. Meanwhile, the sky, no, it's no longer a little fist of cloud coming out. The sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel and the, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, <laughs> he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. This is impossible. This is supernatural. This is, this is a, it's a, it's a bit of a journey. It's quite a way to go. It's about, if you check it out, it's about 14 miles between the two. And it's a chariot versus a man. Yeah. <laughs> and the man wins. So much so that he, I love the detail, he tucks his cloak into his belt so that he's going to run unimpeded. Now, bearing in mind that, that Jewish patriarchs and men of influence and fathers and so on in the Old Testament did not run at all. It was considered to be undignified. But he tucks his cloak in and he says, I'm going for it. And off he goes and he gets there ahead of the chariot. And this is God's supernatural the power of the lord fell upon ezekiel this is god's supernatural provision i don't want i don't want a faith i don't want a christianity that can work without the power of god i don't want to live in a place which is safe where I can make it all happen. I want to live in a place where if God doesn't tip up, it ain't going to happen. That's a risky place to live, but it's the only place to live. And I want to urge you, beloved, this morning, whatever it feels like, however much of a drought you feel you're in, however dry and dirty and dusty you feel, wherever the blocks, the frogs up the pipe, wherever the blocks are in the flow of the life of God in you this morning, whether that is to do with 
physical needs that you have, whether it's the, the need to create family or whether it's to do with sickness and illness, whether it's to do with uh, insomnia, whether it's to do with anxiety attacks and panic attacks, whether it's to do with renal issues, issues to do with your kidneys, whatever it is, whether it's to do with broken relationships, whether it's to do with your job, whether it's to do with people in your family that you've been praying for and they're still not saved, I, I want you this morning to bring them to God. I want you to dare to bring them to God and see what God would do. Let's pray. And then I'm going to invite you to respond. In fact, why don't we stand? If you're able, why don't we stand? It's much better to stand than to sit passively. Let's stand. Yeah, so Holy Spirit, we give you free reign absolutely right now. Who would restrict the work of the Lord? We surrender to you right now and we give you free reign, Holy Spirit, to move across the rows, across the seats, wherever we're sitting, in the middle of a row, whatever, think, oh, well, I can, I'm not sure I can get out. You can. <laughs> Holy Spirit, just move right now across the rows. Touch people's hearts with your love. Touch people's lives with your eternal life. Springs of living water. Nudge them where they need to be convicted of need or of sin or of sickness. And grant us, we pray, Holy Spirit, the courage of our conviction so that we'll put our choices into action, faith in action. And we'll go and we'll go again and we'll go again. And we'll respond not to Pete or to Zio, but to the risen Christ. Help us to that end this morning in this place, we pray, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.